0: Welcome to a Business Brains and the Bottom Line podcast. My name is Paul Delivery, your host, and my guest today is Barry Rutten. He is the co-founder and managing partner of Wealth Defense Financial Advisors. Welcome to the show, Barry.
1: Glad to be here, Paul. Only one quick correction. I, I do pronounce it as Rutten, but that's okay. Rutten. I'm, I'm,
0: I'm, and, uh, you know, I knew that, but I was just testing you to see if you'd just, correct just, me, by the way. Just to see
1: if I knew, huh? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I apologize for that. You know, i just, uh, English was never one of my strong suits, by the way. That's why I have a math degree. You know, I, I have trouble with diction. And see, writing. and I, I
1: just stayed away from the math classes and went with, with anything that had an, an essay exam. So yeah. uh, diff- different strokes, right?
0: Yeah. So obviously, a financial planner bear, and it's uh, it's a very interesting. It's uh, something. I'm obviously as you get older, you start to think about retirement, right? And you know, how do we plan for the future, and how do you make sure that when you retire, you have enough money, not just from a personal level, but you know, all your assets are secured and all that. T- and you're you're a self-proclaimed contrarian. What does that mean?
1: Well, I just think you know contrarian just means I think you're going against the grain and I don't do it to be ornery or difficult or combative. I just think that a lot of the information that's put out there isn't necessarily helpful to people, but it may be helpful to the organizations that put the information out there. Uh, You know, everybody, you know, if I said, you know, how, how should you start your day with a good breakfast? Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but that whole campaign yeah. Uh, wasn't even put out by the cereal companies. It was put out by the milk lobby because most people considered a good breakfast, a bowl of cereal, and you poured more milk on sure. it. Right? Exactly. Um, you know, our milk does a body good. Well, the truth of the matter is milk protein is acidic and it actually leaches uh, calcium from your bones to buffer the acid. So, so dairy uh, isn't necessarily good for your bones, but it was a great marketing slogan. And I'm not trying to give nutritional yeah. advice here. I'm just trying to say things that we take as uh, almost ingrained truth. If you don't know their source, you can often be going down a road that isn't necessarily beneficial to you, but can be benef- beneficial to the organization that put it out there. And I can right. give you some examples if you'd like. Yeah. No,
0: we'll get into that in a minute, but you need on a good point in general. I don't trust anybody. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to be quite honest with you. I don't, because everyone has an agenda. Right. Everyone's pushing an agenda. And I just, and, and, you know, I know, I know I was reading your bio about, you know, all the talking heads on TV. Right. Right. Giving financial advice. I scratch my head because I don't trust any of them.
1: Right. Well, those folks, you know, I I call them financial entertainers. And I think it's a good example of how you don't necessarily want to take everything at face value. And I'm not saying walk around being mistrusting, but if you understand the motivation of the folks that are on you know, AM drive, talk radio, or a TV and such, they're financial entertainers. Their job, their, their purpose in life is to sell advertising. Right. The way they sell advertising, the way they keep you glued to the radio or the TV is by being controversial and by having a common enemy or enemies, things that they can rally or rail against. And so you have a person, you know, a whole person with a life and a family and a history who gets screened by a producer for really one of two things. The producers are looking for someone that the host can either uh, uh, beat up a little bit, right? like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're doing this, Uh, or fits one of their enemies list where the question or the topic can allow the host to uh, rage against the machine. And all the people who like the host are like, yeah, yeah. And and it just keeps you glued so that the, when the when the commercials air, you'll stick around, yeah. you'll get good Nielsen ratings, and then, you know, hey, man, we're back. And they yeah. keep it going. And to give somebody financial advice with a 30-second, you know, here's my whole world in 30 seconds, and boom, here's this advice. The fact that people take that advice is stunning to me. Uh, and I'm not saying 100% of what they say is bad or wrong, but a lot of it is. Uh, but it just makes her good radio or TV.
0: So I'm gonna take a flyer on this one. I'm assuming you've had clients that call you up and say, hey, I was listening to Kramer on, you know, whatever. I, mean, I don't even know what station he's on, but he said this. What do you how do you react to that?
1: Well, <laughs> my my first reaction is so. Like, like, why does that matter that, you know, and I'm not going to name names because I don't have a big legal budget. So, but, you know, I think we all know who these folks are. There's men, there's women, there's TV, there's radio. They're very well known. By the way, fantastic marketers. I give them all the credit in the world for, you know, getting themselves out there and getting exposure. And they've made themselves wealthy uh, doing that. The question is, are they making you wealthy? And so, like I said, some of the advice is good advice. You know, get out of and stay out of debt is is good advice. Um, But just because someone comes on and says i think this particular whatever stock is going to do great how does that apply to you how does that fit into a bigger picture yeah. what ends up happening is if you jump around from uh you know the the mag- the money magazines that say to do this and the tv thing that says this and facebook says this and your brother-in-law says this yeah, yeah. you end up with what i call financial fragmentation uh it's like a, a grenade that blows up and all the fragmented pieces go everywhere you're just all scattered another way to think about it is it's like your Frankenstein's monster, your body, yeah. your financial body, has been cobbled together from all these pieces, and it isn't a pretty sight. And it actually makes it really hard to be uh, successful. And so, uh, I would say that that just because you're listening to someone or read someone, uh, how does it fit into the picture? Does it get you where you're uh, where you're going? And just for the record, if there's a chunk of your money, I don't know, ten percent of your money, five percent of your money. Where you're like, you know what, I just want to have this account and I don't want to chase every, you know, get rich quick wild tip that I hear, you know, at the bowling alley, you know, go for it. I'm not saying not to do that. Yeah. Uh, if, if that's exciting and fun and interesting and, uh, but not with your serious money, not with your long term, yeah. you know, really is going to, eventually the money that's going to replace your income, replace your labor, uh we need to approach that very differently yeah so that kind of get leads me into the
0: next segment is what are some of the basic tenets that you believe in that you try to pass on to your clients things like you mentioned one of them having no debt you know things like that how to be financially responsible with your money just day to day along with investing so what are the basic tenets that you kind of believe in and pass on to your clients
1: you know, I've been doing this for 35 years, and early on, I realized that almost all of the things we do financially fall into pretty much two categories, and it really hasn't changed very much. Okay. Category one is avoid financial loss. So wherever you are today, wherever you are, Paul, wherever I am, whether any, any of your listeners are, you have your present financial position. And that was probably acquired through a lot of blood, sweat, tears, and work and saving and investing and setting money aside. So you have savings, you have investments, you have equity in your home, you know, you have right. retirement plans. The key is in each of those things, we don't want to expose those things to loss. So that loss could be in the form of, of lawsuits or, you know, you lose your job or somebody dies or somebody gets hurt or sick um, or, 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 you know, big market drops that, you know, at least on paper decimate your Uh, your accounts and so avoiding financial loss is the first game so you have to kind of put a financial brick wall behind where you are okay and my observation is a lot of people have uh, a wall if you actually think about an old brick building you know in a town um, if you poke at the wall there's going to be some loose bricks even ones with some missing mortar and just the slightest tap that brick's going to fall through now you've got a hole and and that's where the money kind of leaks or floods out depending on the size of the hole so first job patch all the holes, reinforce all the mortar, make sure the defensive brick wall is really solid behind all of the different ways that uh we can be exposed to, you know, potentially devastating financial loss that could set you back, you know, decades. Once we've got that in place, then it's about achieving financial success. That's the other main silo. And yes. success is going to mean different things to different people, but predominantly, you know, people want to buy their first or second home. They want to start a business. They want to send their kids to college. They want to be able to not work if they don't want to at some point. They want to feel secure, right? I mean, most of us, if, if we're still working, work because we have to, not necessarily because we want to, even if you like what you do. And the goal of, in my mind, retirement, you know, retirement came about, uh, people didn't used to retire. You, you kind of yeah. worked till you died. Um, and yeah. then- <clears throat> the idea of a safety net, which was really, you know, social security, which came out of the, the Great Depression, um, people started to think, well, maybe I don't have to work till I die. And what was interesting is back then when they set up social security, life expectancy was like 67, 68, something like yeah. that. So, you know, you retire at 65. You live for three years. They sent you a few checks. You die. Thank yeah. you very much. Today, you know, everybody's eating kale and, and doing CrossFit. <laughs> They're living too long, right? And yeah. so you can have 30 years of additional life beyond this arbitrary retirement date. And most people don't know how to make that happen. And if they have spent their entire life um, accumulating, so if they have been in the, the accumulation mode, and I'll, I'll kind of go a little bit more specific on retirement here for a second. Okay. So the way I see it is the the nature of retirement is like a mountain, and you have two sides. You have the climb up the mountain. That would be the retirement asset accumulation phase. You're trying to build up a big pile of money. The other side of the mountain is the retirement income distribution phase. They are radically different in how they're structured, what tools are used, how they're executed, and the risks faced in each area. And it's interesting because if you stay with that mountain analogy, and if you think about a mountain guide on Mount Everest, those guys do not necessarily really earn their money on the ascension, on the up. Because I'm not saying it's easy. I can't do it. But that's not where they earn their money. They earn their money on the way down because everybody's tired and oxygen deprived and they've been up since 2 a.m. And it's, it's cold and they're weary and it's getting dark. Yeah that's when people start falling off the mountain and falling into crevasses and such. So if you ask any mountain guide, you say, where do you earn your money? It's on the descent. Yeah. And what I find is that people, even if they did pretty good on the accumulation side, up the mountain side, they're using the wrong tools and the wrong strategies, usually on the, on the get down the mountain, get back home safely side. Uh, and they can end up actually decimating their retirement assets and, and essentially ruin their retirement. And you see stories of people going back and being a, A Walmart greeter, sure, uh, because it didn't work out. And so I think what we have to do is, again, um, on the accumulation side, try and avoid that loss, and then on the uh, the distribution side, make sure that money lasts, keep pace with inflation, uh, is secure, so that you don't have to go back to work, and you don't have to worry, and you don't have to worry what Jim Cramer says.
0: Yeah. So I mean, what are some of the things? You know, again, I, I we may not want to get in particulars today, but what are some of the things people can do? You know, like you said, we all get to retirement we have this nest egg you say okay i think i have enough what are some of the things that you believe in that you try to teach your client to do as you you know on the when you're on the descent that's a good way to put it by the way i like that analogy yeah um
1: <clears throat> well i think the, the one of the risks that people don't really pay much attention to and i think it's probably a little bit of a financial planner geeky thing but it's really really important is what's called sequence of returns risk sequence of returns risk so what that means is again when you're in that accumulation phase you know you you sort of come to accept you know you might have up years you might have down years and the order in which those happen isn't all that important as long as there's more ups than downs right so over any like 10 year period you've got about a 94 percent chance of of having mostly up years and just a few down years okay Problem is your date of retirement is somewhat arbitrary in relation to what's going on in the rest of the world. Okay. So you decide I'm going to retire at 65 on this date and the world upon hearing of your, you know, exit <laughs> from the economy, suddenly, you know, all gets you know thrown into a tizzy. And so if you have a few, even in the f- just a few early years of really bad returns, and you're trying to take your income directly from those investments what happens is you end up selling those investments to meet the income need, right? So if you need five thousand a month, and you were hoping this thing made you know eight percent, and you could live off that, and maybe reinvest a chunk or whatever, in the years where it's zero or negative, you might actually have to sell some of that asset. Now you've taken some soldiers off the field, yeah. so to speak. They're not available to go back up when things go back up, and they forever are out of the picture for reducing. Uh, income. That's extremely dangerous. And again, that's what I'm saying is people are using the tools of accumulation instead of the tools of distribution. And so what we want to do is we want to uh, essentially uh, have, I guess what you'd call, I'd call a buffer tank strategy. What I mean by that is, let's say again, your bills, your expenses were $5,000 a month. I'd like to see f- two to three years of those expenses in cash or qu- cash equivalents, higher yielding savings, Laddered CDs, laddered bonds, multi-year guaranteed annuities—anything that right. short-term, safe, good rate of return. It's more about liquidity and safety, and that's really kind of your working capital, kind of right. Like, and so paying then I'm, bills. I'm right. You're paying bills out of that account. Now here's the key: I've got to replenish that account. I got to keep it topped off. Sure. So a lot of times we'll use a strategy where <clears throat> we'll we'll use a chunk of money uh, that will that will kick out cash flow to replenish that account. And let's say we set that up for 10 years. Now we've kind of gotten you from 65 to 75, and we've kind of gotten you out of that sort of danger zone, right? We've pushed you a little bit closer to life expectancy. And what we can often do is split your money up. So once we've funded that buffer account, we can split your money up and we can say, okay, let's use a chunk to generate replacement income. So that tank always stays full. I'm always drawing my monthly expenses from a safe place. It doesn't matter what the market's doing up, down, sideways, not only in any one day, week, month, in any one year, three. It doesn't matter because I've changed my time horizon to 10 years. i right. take that other part of the money, and let's just say we split it in half to make the math easy, okay? So let's say I took $500,000, and that $500,000 kicked out the amount of money I need to replenish my buffer tank, uh, so over 10 years. And I send my other investment out into, into the future for 10 years. There's a rule of 72. It says if you take the rate of return uh, and divide it into the years that you're you're working with, it'll tell you uh, how long it'll take your money to double, right? So in this case, if I earn 7.2% over 10 years, I will return back to my original million dollars, right? My million dollars were split in half, 500 generated current uh, income to replenish my account, 500,000 at 7.2% grows back to a million. I can now repeat that process again. Now, at the end of that second cycle, I'm going to be 85 years old. I'm not all that worried. I think I can structure things to yeah. you know, last the rest of my life. But we've gotten out of that danger zone. Yeah. And literally for a decade at a time, you're not even looking at the statements you're getting in the mail uh, because the structure is, is meant to be worry-free and, and kind of take a lot of the emotion out of this by lengthening the yeah. time frame that we're sitting on the money. Yeah, no, that actually is a good strategy, I think, Barry. I'd never, not really heard that
0: put in those terms before, but yeah, you know, you have your safe money that if the market goes down, it's not really going to affect you. Right. You know, so what about, you? I hear these terms thrown around, uh, the 4% rule, the 3% rule that if you take four, you know, the idea of that is if you take three or 4% of your investments out every year, hopefully it'll replenish itself. If you can live off the three, 4%, depending on how much you have, right? along with social security and whatever you have else going, should, you should never go broke. Well, what's your take on that one? Is it you well, believe in
1: it? Well, the 4% rule came from a, a white paper that a, that a, a guy did. I can't, I, his name was on the tip of my tongue, but it escaped me, but it's a kind of a famous white paper in one of sure. the financial planning journals. And, you know, he just looked historically and he looked at, you know, rates of return and inflation and up years and down years. And he said, if you started out with taking 4% and adjusted that for inflation and, the problem is we've been in a long-term decline in bond rates. When he wrote that, bond rates were much higher. Yeah. Uh, frankly, stock market volatility has increased, I think as we've all experienced. And that 4% rule, if you look at the financial um, literature now, has been reduced to like 25 Oh, wow. Which is brutal because you think about the yeah. amount of capital you need. A million dollars at 4% is $40,000. Now, if I yeah. go to 2.5%, how much capital do I need to have, the, you know, the same amount of income? It's a lot more, and so yeah. Yeah. I, I've I've lived with the four percent rule for you know a large part of my part of my career, and I'll be honest with you, it, it has always been in conflict with my thoughts about the role of money. I only think money should do one thing at a time. So, the four percent rule is saying, hey. Stay invested with this portfolio, whether it's 70-30, 80-20, 60-40, 50-50 stocks and bonds, and hopefully, you know, hope and a prayer, it'll earn this fictitious 8% or whatever, um, which doesn't happen every single year, right? You're going to have up years, down years, negative years, and then hopefully there's this 4% or whatever available to draw, and hopefully the other piece is getting reinvested and hopefully this is going to get bigger to keep pace with inflation. I've actually just decided I think that's crazy and really stressful for everybody. Me yeah. included as an advisor to clients, right? Yeah. So the strategy that I let out for you before, I call it a split. Uh, so it's like a buffer and a split. And what it's doing is it's saying, look, each uh, component has a job and it only needs to do one thing and one thing only. Go so ahead. I don't want to necessarily have my money have to produce income and grow simultaneously because that doesn't work very well. Yeah. So I have my buffer tank with my cash and cash equivalents for my uh, my bills. There's really very rarely or maybe even never had, you know, more than a 3 year down market, okay? So right. that's where the 3 years. So 2 years, 3 years. And you know, don't, don't worry about the rate of return on it. It's more like the return of your money than the return on your money. Uh, it's liquidity, it's safety. And then by saying, "Hey, we're going to replenish that tank with a essentially a guaranteed income generating contract, so that for the next 10 years, you still know that that buffer tank is always going to have three years of money in it. And at the end of 10 years, I've sent the remaining money out into the future. And all I've asked it to do is earn 7.2%. If I've got some bonds in there paying interest, I've got some dividend paying stocks, and the income side of that portfolio can earn three, I only need the stock side to do 4% to hit my target. That's a much lower threshold. I'm not sitting there praying for a 25% return to rescue me from the negative 15% that I had last year. And so, you know, again, perfect example. That was a very scholarly article that came up with the 4% rule and all everybody followed it. And that's the way to do it. And 4%, well, Hey, maybe you should step back and not necessarily just mindlessly follow that. Maybe you can come up with a strategy to take some of this stuff off the table and stop worrying about all these things, and that's kind of what that strategy I laid out for you would do.
0: No, I actually like that, Barry. That's why you're a contrarian, right? That's why you're contrarian, not just following, yeah. <laughs> you know, standard uh, stuff. So, well, let's 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 talk about, um, you know, estates and all that other stuff. What are some of the recommended? Because I mean, I, mean I, I we all hear the stories of parents dying, and it's a mess. Mm -hmm. right? And then lawyers get involved and all this other stuff. So what should people do to protect their things for the next generation?
1: I'll tell you two to three soapbox kind of things, meaning these are things I really get amped up about. Soapbox number one, if you have children, minor children, you have to have a will with guardianship provisions in the will, Okay. And within that framework, you really want to have a structure that both addresses the care of the person, a guardian of the person, if you will. And that could be Sister Sally, who's an awesome mom. Right. And, you know, yep. it's basically Aunt Sally and they trust and love and the kids all get along and it's great. But it's possible that Sally's family may not be the best money managers in the world. And so you might want to have, you know, Brother Paul, who's a CPA, or you may want to designate a professional fiduciary. Sure. Uh, or trust, uh, you know, bank to to be the manager of the money who has a legal obligation to follow the instructions in the trust. So how it would work is you have a will, it has what's called a testamentary trust, which means it doesn't come into existence until until you die, and you have the guardianship provisions, and you have your executor of your estate. And so what happens is, a certain amount of assets go into this trust that was established in your will that comes into being the trust. Uh, the executor actually creates a trust, has its own tax ID and all that. And now there's funds, professionally managed, made available to the guardian to take care of your children. So that's Soapbox One. Please, if you have children, take the time. Uh, we, I actually have a, a platform that's actually pretty cool. I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I have a platform through a firm that I use that makes this very easy and very reasonable in, in, in cost. So if anybody's listening, reach out. Uh, we'll give you some contact information here at the end. But, but it's yeah. just... I just, the idea of, of of children becoming orphans, you know, there's mom and dad on date night at the movies, coming home, boom, truck hits them, they're gone. What is the babysitter going to raise the kids? Yeah. And what, what if there's a fight between sister Sally and grandma who, who both think they're, you know, equally qualified to be in charge? So we're trying to eliminate those kind of family squabbles. We're trying to make sure the funds are available to take care of the kids. So that brings me to soapbox issue number two. Let's hear it. Life insurance, death beneficiaries uh, named as minor children. So uh, mom and dad are married. Dad's primary beneficiary, of course, should be mom. But what I'll see is, oh, well, if mom's not around, we want to make sure the money goes to the kids. We'll leave leave it to Bobby and Sally, who are three and seven. This is a technically incorrect thing to do. The reason is insurance companies are not going to write a check for half a million dollars or a million dollars to, to Sally. She's going to spend it all on Barbie's dream house stuff. It's just not going to be prudent, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, but honestly, she can't open a bag of caps. She can't do all that stuff. And what's going to happen is somebody's going to have to petition a court to gain access to the funds for the care of that child, and that could take a long time and a lot of lawyer yeah. fees and such. And what you intended isn't going to happen. So, what's the solution? Two steps. Step one: If you have it now, if you have life insurance now, if you, if you don't, you should you should have it. But if you don't, um, We're going to make the contingent beneficiary something called the UTMA, Uniform Transfers to Minors Act. It's sort of a universal statute that all those states have adopted that allows you to name a custodian for the client, for the child's funds. So the beneficiary designation, this is going to be a little long. There's ways to abbreviate it, but it would sound like this. Um, Robert Smith, son of the insured. With Susan Jones, sister of the insured, as custodian under the Washington Uniform Transfers to Minors Act. What happens at that second death is the life insurance company writes a check to that account. So basically the custodian opens a bank account um, or the insurance company gives you a checkbook registered like that, highly abbreviated. Um, But what it clearly says to the world is I'm an adult. I've been designated as the custodian for these funds. I will administer these funds for the benefit of the minor. Now, remember, I started out with Robert Jones or whatever I said, son of the insured. The child actually owns the money, but can only receive it uh in terms of the capital uh when they're an adult. Um, right. Usually 21, some states allow you to extend it to 25. Um, so that's phase one. Phase two would be, uh like put that in place that's pretty easy to change um phase two would be to do the estate planning that i talked about in the first soapbox moment which was get the will get the testimony trust established figure out who the guardians are going to be and do that so it's kind of a two phase um two phase kind of thing um the third thing that that i feel that parents miss the opportunity to do is give their children good financial education Um, money is always in the dark for everybody. You know, kids are unaware of, you know, money in money out bills, uh, you know, monthly bills, quarterly bills, annual bills, taxes, credit cards, when the children are age appropriate and there are really, really good. People have come out with some great online in most cases, free financial education. That's age appropriate. And you can even actually have this kind of curriculum in a school uh, where the teacher can actually have a curriculum to follow. That's grade Appropriate. And teach the kids, you know, basic piggy bank stuff all the way up to, you know, high school level where you can pretty much talk to them about anything. Um, It it is painful for me to see how many clients that I deal with that wasted, for example, decades of compounding that they, if they had been setting some money aside, uh, got so buried in debt, overbought their house, too many... Car loans, so they had all this money passing through their fingers, but it all went to other people. Yeah, and so they they really have wasted a lot of time, and then now they're scrambling to make up for that time. And so, uh, financial education for children, I think, is uh, essential, age appropriate, but but make it part of. And I think it's part of raising responsible adults. You know, you want the best for them. Why leave them in the dark? They're not going to learn it at school. They're not even going to learn it yeah. in college
0: it's funny uh, you, you've been hearing a big push lately some states are trying to acquire some financial uh classes for kids it makes sense uh you know because we've all learned the hard way right you just yeah you i mean you know,
1: it's stunning to me that you know the the home ec class is about like baking yeah <laughs> you know it's not about actually economics yeah right um and i think some schools may be you know moving i think there's a trend i think it's moving that direction um but you know kids can understand stuff pretty early and again yeah. if it's age appropriate um so i think those three three things and, and and as far as that sort of wasted multiple decades as you know paul small sums of money compounded over long periods of time produce vast sums of money
0: yeah the, that's the, the one lesson i'm i'm not i'm not a financial expert you know you, you that's the one lesson i'm trying to teach my kids yeah. save early save often and, you know, you got, like I said, if money doubles every seven to 10 years, you don't have to be a nuclear physicist to figure out how much you have in the end, you know?
1: So, you know, Albert Einstein said compound interest was the eighth wonder of the world. He's a pretty sharp dude. Um, so what we try to do is, is help parents start what I call early wealth building plans. Yeah. If it's $50 a month, if it's a hundred yeah, dollars a month, it doesn't matter. Something. As long as the, the clock is ticking and money is compounding, waiting till you're 25 to your first major real job or 30 or something and then all of a sudden you start saving 3 decades of compounding lost right uh, there's a famous example where you have two people uh one waits till they're 30 uh and and does nothing uh one starts putting a couple thousand dollars away and then stops after like 10 or 15 years and when they get out to 65 they both have the same amount of money but the person who waited had to put in vastly greater contributions yeah. to yeah. make I, it for the I've
0: seen are. that. I've seen that comparison too. I it, There's several of those floating around, but it makes sense. And again, you know, I have a math degree and I took some finance classes. So that's the one thing I do understand is the, yeah. the the power of compound interest. You know,
1: I don't know if this shows up on camera with the background, but you know, this is a uh, HP 12c financial function calculator, and the main use of it. Is to do what are called future value calculations, putting in a lump sum or uh, a monthly amount and, and, and an interest rate, a number of years of compounding, and what is the future value going to be? Yeah, and it's amazing what f- just five years difference yeah. will do to the ending uh, to the ending value. So you know, again, that's kind of soapbox three is please sure. get your kids started on, but I, compounding over over you know long periods of time. Uh, don't don't wait. Yeah, I think people dismiss,
0: oh, it's only fifty bucks a month, it's a hundred bucks a month. What's that gonna get me? But they don't realize if you do that for 40 years, um, you know, this this there's, there's plenty of millionaires out there that never made more than 70000 dollars dollars a year. Right. Because they were disciplined in their saving. They saved early and you know, they didn't they they spent within their mean. That's another problem, I think, bear, Barry, is I see, you know, like you say, people money slipping through people's hands. How many people do you know that, you know, they make a hundred they live to a hundred. They spend, they make 500. They, they live to 500. They stop buying boats and houses and they are just
1: turning an old dollar over for a new dollar. I've met people who have multiple six figure household incomes, meaning two substantial six figure incomes don't have three months worth of savings. Yeah. Um, It's just really kind of startling. And, and, you know, some of it is societal, right? Our society is set up that, um, you know, it's only this much a month and, you know, then it's the fancier car and the, I I live in a reasonably affluent area, and you cannot believe how many literally Maseratis, Lamborghinis, you know, hundred and ten thousand dollar Porsche SUVs uh, are out here now. If they can, I'm not telling you don't spend your money; spend it any way you want, right? But the cost of that capital going into essentially a depreciating asset versus what that capital could do for you in terms of generating income, and so that's the other big, I think, financial blind spot for a lot of people is. Uh, The term called opportunity cost. I'm sure you got this in finance class, right? Absolutely. You know, a dollar spent on a pair of sneakers, you know, an Apple watch, a car or whatever uh, is gone forever. Uh, A dollar retained is there to produce income forever. And again, I'm not saying don't spend any money, but I think we got to live your life, right? You got to bring in a dollar. You know, I think you should spend a chunk. I think you should save a chunk. And I think you should invest a chunk. The purpose of work, the purpose of labor, if now we're going to live long enough to enjoy it, yep. is to build up enough assets such that those assets produce enough income to replace your labor. So the money's working for you, the assets are working for you. Uh so you're not doing the work. If you don't, you will continue to have to work to to eat, to live. Um, and so you know, building up income producing. Assets should be really the objective because retirement is not about rate of return. That's the other falsehood. Retirement isn't, oh, my portfolio made X. I'm so tired of hearing that. I'm like, I don't care. What yeah. I care is do you have sufficient cash flow? Retirement's about cash flow to cover your expenses, both your wants and your needs. Uh, and, and again, keeping pace with inflation. Which right now is a little bit tougher. Yeah, we're um, in a tough time right now. Yeah, I think all I, mean, our- I feel. I feel very bad. People on fixed incomes are really, 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 really suffering right now. Yeah. Uh, because I don't buy. I don't think anybody buys this. This even nine percent inflation. When I go to the store, and I see a carton of orange juice that used to be sixty four ounces, half gallon, and last year, the year before, I can't remember the last time I looked it was 58 ounces. And now I looked the other day, it was 52 ounces. Yeah. So they took 12 ounces out of the carton, but it kind of still looks like a half gallon. Yeah, so the it's, shelf. It's, it's the same price, but it's 20% less volume. So across millions and millions of cartons of orange juice, the, the orange juice company is doing good because they're getting the same amount of money for a lot less product. I call that shrinkflation. Um, that that you know that, that there's not just the and, and and if you talk to any food company, they are very public about it. They say people don't like to see the prices on the shelf go up, so we try and control that. And the only way to do that is to reduce what's in the package. So the so the half gallon of ice cream is now a quart and a half, right? <laughs> and you just look at everything in the store. The boxes. I'm gonna have to look small. at
0: that because now you got me thinking about that.
1: If you look in the store, almost everything is significantly uh smaller in volume than it was before that's probably good we need to be eating less anyway barry yeah uh, that's good thank you shrinkflation for yeah. reducing the size of my packages of stuff so yeah. I lose some weight
0: yeah that that's uh that's a big one i think like th- right now we're in a bad time with financially the stock market's not been has not been doing great and like you said if you're on a fixed income but i like your strategy if you keep that three years of of uh expenses in an account um you can survive the fluctuations in the market on the, right. on the other side. So that's uh, that's a uh, good advice. So, well, we'll pivot to one more topic, Barry, business relationships, partnerships, all those types of things, you know, we, we see it on the news. We see it all, you know, people we know have partners and things go south. You know, how, do, how do you set up a situation where, they can protect each other. Say say one goes through a divorce or you know, I'll let you make some of these examples. Sure. Uh, one partner dies, his wife takes over and everyone wants to sell. What do you do? How do you protect yourself in those situations?
1: You know, I have a soft spot in my heart for entrepreneurs. It's not easy to create something from scratch and yep. generate your own money as opposed to getting a check. I'm not dissing people who take a check, but it is hard to, to create something from scratch and build a business. And a lot of times... People do it with partners for various reasons. And, you know, when we start out, everything's all rosy and hunky-dory and uh, we're all going to ride off into the sunset together. But, uh, you know, there's five or six things that can happen uh, that would would cause a change in that situation. So you have uh, the easy ones. There's death. There's disability. uh, There's bankruptcy. There's divorce. uh, There's I just want to get out. Right. Um, they're meaning disagree. I mean, I just want to get on my own cause I want to go find myself in Tibet or I don't like you anymore and I just want to get out. So it's kind right. of two versions of that. What many, many businesses don't have is uh, a succession plan if they want to hold the business and pass it on, to, say the next generation, and they don't have a business continuation plan. If any of those events should occur, the solution to all that, or at least the, the starting point of that, um, uh, is what's called a buy-sell agreement. And a buy-sell agreement establishes both a formula for how the business is valued because there's a bunch of different formulas based on the kind of business, meaning a dental practice is different than a manufacturing company. right? And um, it establishes a methodology for valuing the business and a frequency so that if somebody did need to sell, uh, we're not first starting to figure out how that works. And then uh, paired to that, is what's called a business valuation it's professional accounting of based on your business and your industry and the way your business runs and what it makes what is it worth if it was sold today and a lot of business owners unfortunately walk around in a delusional state of what their business is actually worth yep. in the real world if they went to sell it um so on one hand it's like you know someday i'll give it to junior and there's no real plan or strategy for that and that doesn't work well um and or you know hey if something happens like if, if you die and your spouse's partner, uh, so you know, your partner's spouse—I mean—they um, don't know how to run the business. You don't—you don't want to be in partnership with them. But you know, how do they? How do you extract half the business's value and give it to that other person? And would that be devastating to the business? Well, of course right. it would, or it would cause a forced sale of the business. And so, what we put in place are various financial tools that allow for addressing death, disability, retirement, bankruptcy—you know, disputes—all those kinds of things. Um, so this whole agreement's all spelled out in advance. So nobody's surprised. and you can essentially cash out the other person uh, or or know the mechanism of how the business is going to be sold. Like you could give a a first right of refusal to a competitor. Like if you're a dentist, I really like dentist Joe across the street. Yeah, we're competitors, but I wouldn't mind my patients going to him if I couldn't work with them. And so he would might have a first right of refusal to buy your practice. But having these things in place in advance is uh, essential. Uh, I really do worry about the the family disputes that arise from these things uh, or the fact that this business is going to go out of business because it has to be sold just yeah. to kind of satisfy the estate settlement. And so um, it's kind of a big blind spot for a lot of a lot of. Business. I think
0: so. Yeah. Having a plan. Right. That's the name of the game.
1: Yep. Let let, let the plan manage you know everything. I, I, I have always believed in the plan, uh, yep. but I don't believe in the static plan. Yeah. Uh, what we established today, things are going to change. And so it just needs to be monitored and checked in on. And it's not glamorous. It's not exciting. Uh, it's just necessary. It's sort of the, yeah. the adulting part of all of this.
0: Yeah. And, you know, if you don't have a, I've seen it in my life, my personal life, you know, if you don't have a, if you don't leave a, a plan uh, when you pass, it just leaves a mess for the next generation. I've seen it firsthand. So
1: even with regular, you know, families um, kind of going back to not leaving a mess, um, I believe most people uh who have a family who have especially some assets, including a house, uh, should have uh what's called a living trust package. And that package will be um the living trust itself, which places all of your assets or most of them uh into a structure where your trustee. So while you're alive, yep. you're your own trustee. When you pass away, usually your spouse is your trustee. When both of you are gone, there's a successor trustee. It gives them the ability to do things like sell a home without having to go to court which is the probate process because right. there's a lack of a signature to transfer things like real property like uh houses and cars and things. So it it, it cleans up that mess. First of all, it keeps it private. Probate is public information, public yeah. record. So it keeps everything private. It establishes which people you trust enough to be the responsible parties to be your executor of your will, the trustee of your trust. But along with that comes some really important other legal documents. So there'll be a general power of attorney, right? So if you slip and fall and hit your head on the ice and you're incapacitated for six months, you're in a coma, somebody can step in and do everything from pay your bills to, you know, make make arrangements and things. Yep. Yeah. There's a, a healthcare power of attorney, which is is the care of your body, right? Finances right. and body are two different things, just like with the kids and the guardianship, uh, to make medical decisions on your behalf for your your care, including if you don't live what happens to you after, you know, what kind of extraordinary measures or none, or when you cremated or buried or sprinkled in the ocean or whatever. Um, And then uh, there's um, uh, that living will is part of that, which is again, what, what, what would the, uh, uh, what would you want in terms of extraordinary care and feeding and breathing and all that kind of stuff, kind of not fun, but my God, the burden placed on family without these tools in place. And the fact that, People literally do not have the power to act on your behalf. Yeah. And everything is kind of frozen. Your money and this and that is all frozen and inactionable. Yeah. It makes a terrible nightmare. And then the last piece of that is what's called a pour over will. It's just all of your other stuff that doesn't pass through the trust directly gets kind of dumped into the trust. It just makes sure that everything's scooped up. If you have some specific bequests like you know, I want my daughter to get the grandfather clock and I want my son yeah. to get my collection yep. of watches, whatever, you can specifically make requests. estate planning does not mean that the second you you know have the documents notarized, you're gonna die. Uh, it just means you want to have a plan so that if you do and when you do, it's 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 there. Uh, so I would really encourage people again, uh, we work for some national scale firms who've made this process very streamlined very online very easy yeah. very reasonable yeah,
0: the, the, uh, you see all the advertisements on TV it looks like it's a pretty simple process these days it's
1: not it's not hard you just all you want to do is in my opinion avoid the do it yourself uh you know you, you really do want a lawyer involved because people have special situations often that aren't usually covered by what i call the boilerplate stuff and i'll give you a perfect example if you have a special needs child, there are things you want to do to make sure that their, their government benefits are protected and they're cared for. You may have a child that you want to disinherit for whatever reason. You have to specifically see that. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm actually working with a client right now who has two children and they're adamant that, you know, person one, child one is out <laughs> But you have to specifically say that so that it can't be challenged, right? You have to have specific state-specific language to say that. And so uh, I I think that everybody's really busy doing the business of life, whether that's personal life, business life, work life. And so having somebody kind of take a comprehensive look at your savings and protection program kind of on the defensive side, making sure you have a good income replacement plan if that gets interrupted you're working on your goals and you're minimizing taxes and you're making sure your legacy is properly set up. Um, You know, that's what we do. And it's customized to each person. Some people have more complexity, some have less, Uh, some areas are more important or more urgent. Uh, That's why it's usually a um, sort of a living, breathing thing that evolves over, over.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I think we'll end on that note, Barry, but uh, before we end, if, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do it? I, I think you've, you've, Come on, you know, today was a lot of great information, but I'm assuming there's people out there that are saying, I'm not doing any of that stuff, so I need some help. So, how do sure. they get in touch with you?
1: Sure, they can just go to uh, the website wealthdefensegroup.com, wealthdefensegroup.com for our business owner friends. Uh, if you did a forward slash Bob, so wealthdefensegroup.com forward slash Bob's B O B S, like the guy's name with an S at the end. Um, it's a little survey, self survey you can take about what we call business owner blind spots. That's the Bobs.
0: That's the Bobs, uh, Okay. Kind
1: of kind of dives a little deeper into that topic that we were uh, we were talking about, and and happy to consult on that. That's definitely not a do it yourself uh, uh, topic. And uh, on our website, there's a whole bunch of areas of planning. You won't see products or any pitches or yeah. anything. You'll just see a form on there where you can actually say, "I'm interested in these various levels of." Of planning there's a box where you can put in some notes what you're interested in and it always just starts with a conversation yep. and if we're a fit awesome if we're not i'll try and point that's you okay resources to yeah. people who who you know are a better fit uh i just would like people to just do better for uh for themselves and and you know not necessarily have to sit there uh in traffic listening to am radio trying to figure out if this advice pertains to them
0: yeah no i i think it, that that's sound advice barry cool great well hey uh, appreciate you coming on. I've enjoyed this. I, I've been wanting, you know, it's funny. I've been wanting to have a financial planner, wealth management, like someone like yourself on for a while. And uh, you're the first one.
1: Well, wow, I feel privileged. Thank you, Paul.
0: All right. Well, hey, uh, again, thanks for being on, Barry. And that's a wrap for Business Brains in the Bottom Line.